Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ask Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. I'm your host, Angel Leon, Mosher's Director of Personnel. In today's episode of Ask Anything, we're talking with Mitch Isaacs about leadership and embracing optimalism. Mitch Isaacs was named Schaefer Leadership Academy's Executive Director May 2015. In this role, he works closely with the organization's board of directors to fulfill the mission of the organization. He is responsible for creating vision, connecting with stakeholders, administering program offerings, and leading the organization in meaningful ways. Mitch has over 20 years of leadership development experience. He graduated from Ball State University, do it, chirp, chirp, in 2002 with a double major in history and political science and a minor in counseling psychology. Mitch completed his master's degree in student affairs and higher education at Indiana State University. He returned to Ball State in 2005 and spent the next 10 years as a working professional in higher education, including five years as the Director of Excellence in Leadership Program and coordinator of the Leadership Studies minor. Mitch, it's great to have you with us at Ask Anything. I have to say I'm a little biased with this topic of optimalism because I actually consider myself someone who does this on a regular basis. I oftentimes try to sell it to my employees and those around me, this idea of accepting the reality of failure, even mm. though we want what we're doing to be perfect. But first, yeah. let me welcome you in. How are you? Well, I'm great, Angel. And you know, my my only regret so far is that this is a podcast and it is not on YouTube because people can't see your amazing holiday dog sweater. It is. It's fantastic. I, I love everything about it. I might be able to put a photo up with the show notes. We'll you should. Time. You should. I feel like it, it really completes the uh, the aesthetic here. Yeah. When we're recording this, we're uh, doing a little Christmas uh, festivities here at Mosher. So we are glad to be doing this today. So what is optimalism? I want to go right to it and die yes. because I consider myself someone who does this on a regular basis. So what can you define for us as optimalism? It really is the alternative to pessimism and um, optimism. And, and some people would say, well, isn't the alternative realism? But I would say realism is a matter of perspective. And so what I mean by that is the bridge between being an optimist and a pessimist is recognizing that both are true, that, that you know, optimists, life is always going to work out. Pessimists, it's never going to work out. You're both wrong. You're both right. Life works out really well sometimes and, and not so well other times. And so what an optimalist says is, you know, I'm going to win some, I'm going to lose some. Whether I win or lose, I have to look at where I am today and what's happening right now and ask myself how I make the best of where I am. And it's really, it's a simple concept. It's just difficult to live. It is. And I like the way you put it, because that's something that I keep thinking about about how you're, you know, you're going to win some, you lose some. I always think about the process is how we, how I got there is how it's as important as really the end result as the win. You know, that's really well said. So I do a presentation on this topic and I would love to tell you that these ideas are uniquely mine, but they're not. I've learned from Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, who's actually a happiness researcher, Harvard-based happiness researcher, who studies what makes people happy. And in the process of studying what makes people happy, you learn what makes people unhappy. And so when he talks about optimalism and, and this idea, he's got a couple of core tenets. And one of them is exactly what you just said on how it's the idea that the, the journey matters just as much as the destination. It's important to be focused on where we're going. It's necessary to be focused on where we're going, both in life and in business. 
but it can't just be about the end goal. It has to be about what that journey is, what that process is, what what we experience as we get there. And so that is that is one of the core tenets of his that I talk about when I talk about this, because for goal-oriented, achievement-oriented people, which I presume is often the kind of folk who listen to a podcast, it can, it can be- <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Does that sound familiar, dear listener? It can be so easy to focus on goals that you forget that it's not just about attaining the goals. It's about what happens in the process of getting there. Yeah. And I mean, you gain so much experience through any kind of process that I feel like sometimes that's even more rewarding that what the end result is. Yes. If you get a win in that process and that's awesome, that's great. But what have you learned through that process? What teachings that you get through that process? I think that's just as valuable, if not even more. Absolutely. So how can someone embrace optimalism? Uh, yeah, um, probably the the hardest time to embrace it, but also the most important time to embrace it is when you're disappointed. Mm. Uh, and, and what I mean by that, I'll give you an example. Um, so when I went to grad school, my first grad school, I, I left Ball State in 2002 and I went to the University of Missouri, St. Louis, which isn't mentioned in my bio because I didn't complete my graduate degree there. Started there for a year and I was super excited. I read all the leadership books and thought I knew all the things. I was 22 years old, first time I'd ever had a staff. Six months later, my supervisor saying to me, Mitch, the good news is I've never seen a team so unified. The bad news is they're all unified against you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I, I had to do a lot of kind of inward looking and reflecting. I think some of that was definitely me and things I needed to learn. Some of that was just, it wasn't the right environment for me. And so I did what very few people do. I transferred grad schools and I'd been at Indiana State for just a little while. And one of my staff members said, you're, you're really good at this supervision thing. And how did you do that? And I said, well, I just spent a year being really bad. <laughs> and so <laughs> the point is, is what I, I guess what I'm getting at that is, did things work out exactly like I hoped? No, I'd, I'd hoped to finish my degree. I went to St. Louis to get a degree. I'd hoped to finish my degree in St. Louis. And, and in two years, instead, I had to transfer schools and I went to a different school and it took me three, but I came out better as a result. You know, I was, I was a better supervisor. I was a better professional. In some ways, I was a better person because of that really tough year I had. And, and so it's that matter of perspective of this did not go the way that I wanted it to go. What can I learn from it, right? There's no failure. There's only feedback. It's only failure if we fail to use what we learned. It's feedback if we failed or what we might think of as failure. And we use that to get better and, and enhance. So, you know, I think that's probably, it's hard to do, but the most important time to take, uh, and I certainly didn't take it back at, at 23 years old. You know, I, it took me years to understand that that's what happened. But if you can understand in the moment that that's what's happening to you, it really does take a lot of pressure off. Yeah, that's when you package it on your uh, resume as I am a passionate uniter. There you go. That's right. Ooh. Good resume speak. Good <laughs> resume. And that is something that I think I've seen things like that personally with experiences as well, not necessarily from myself, but from others. Because I mean, I think I can tie that into like when we have a bad manager, bad supervision. And yeah. You start learning how not to be a manager if you're interested in becoming a manager. Yeah. And so if you have a bad manager and you're seeing all those mannerisms and the way that they treat their employees, if you're really serious about becoming a manager, that's a masterclass in what not to do when becoming yeah. a manager. We've talked yeah. about this in past episodes. Even bad examples are, are examples that can be used. 
That's right. I'm never doing that. Or I'm, if I do something like that, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to take a different approach to that because, boy, does that not seem to be working. <laughs> I don't know about you all. I'm a big NFL fan. I was watching the Packers and Chiefs last night. And so the Packers have their – he's not a rookie. He's been on the team a couple of years, but their first-year quarterback, Jordan Love, and they've been talking about his progression. He's playing, he's playing a lot better halfway into yep. the season, three-quarters of the way into the season. And they were talking about, well, how's that happening? Like, I've been making a lot of mistakes all season long, yeah. but because I've been making these mistakes, I'm learning how to play the game better. And so same idea. It doesn't matter if it's those of us here in, you know, in, in Indiana working in an office or in a field somewhere learning mistakes. It happens to, to multi-million dollar professionals who have been training their whole lives. We all, we all go through it. I'm a Packers fan. So go Pack Go, first of all. Yeah. Uh, second of all, what they were saying about him is completely right. As someone who's either watched or follow all the games this year for him, he was bad for the majority of the year, probably the first eight to nine weeks of the season. And yeah. he has progressed at a level that I don't think not even Favre or Rogers, when they were at this point in their careers, I mean, Favre got in a little bit earlier than, than what Jordan did, but, Aaron, I think, had, if I remember correctly, had some growing pains as well. But he's shown a great deal of progression in the last four weeks. And I know we're getting off topic here, but it's a great example. It's a, it's a great way to yeah. bring, it, bring it full circle. I'll bring it back. Like I have two kids in travel sports. And mm -hmm. the, way, like, the way that translates the metaphor is, I always tell them, you will learn more from a loss than you will a victory. A loss teaches yeah. you more about what needs to happen. And I forget, mm -hmm. I think it was Favre. I think I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, if I'm even attributing it to him correctly, was, you know, like, what are you, what's, what's your secret? He's like, I always try to make brand new mistakes. Huh. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like if, I, if I make it once, okay, I learned from that. How, what, what else can I learn from this brand new set of screw ups I'm about yeah. to embark on? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that Absolutely. brings us to, perfectionism because you uh, mentioned a little bit about that earlier so how has perfectionism influenced optimalism well they're tied together so you know again the, the this idea we're talking about today I, I really learned from dr shahar and um his first book was called happier and it, it was all about what makes us happy and as i said earlier the process of studying happiness you learn about what makes people unhappy and, and one of the things he found out was perfectionism and this made sense to him he's israeli and so squash is a, a, a big sport in that part of the world and he wrote in the book about how he was like 15th ranked squash player and how he worked so hard to break into the top 10 and break into the top five and ultimately that pursuit made him miserable and his book that I that I'm citing from is called The Pursuit of Perfect, actually. And it's not about avoiding achievement or improvement. It's about recognizing when you're taking an achievement or improvement to an absurd standard, right? Where that achievement and improvement takes you beyond what is functional and, and helpful to you in business and life and takes you to this mental state where you're sacrificing your own mental health and happiness and relationships just to make something perfect. And so he understood that personally through his experiences as a, as a world-ranked squash player and then supported through his research. And so they are uniquely tied together. And, and often for folks to get to optimalism, they have to battle through perfectionism. You don't understand the need for a mentality like this until you've lived through 
something like perfectionism, which can make you miserable and make your relationships difficult and make you dissatisfied no matter how successful you are. And so sometimes you, going back to what we just discussed, you have to live through that a little bit before you realize you need a different way of looking at things. I think about, and I mean, I, I know we all have different backgrounds and different experiences, but I think about that first job, that first real job that everyone has where they probably want to do everything perfect mm-hmm. that first go around. And mm-hmm. so for Brian, it was probably a media related job. It was writing. It was yeah. writing. There you yeah. go. For me, I was actually into in, in an HR role, HR generous role as a 17 year old right out of high school in a paid internship that turned into a, a part-time role. And I wanted to do everything perfect. I wanted my boss to think that I was good enough to earn that part-time role. I wanted everything that I was doing to be perfect. But like you mentioned, I didn't know what optimism was back then. All I could think about was just being perfect and doing every single task in a manner in which it would just, they would just say, oh, this guy's a perfectionist. Look at him. I don't know if I was doing it the wrong way, but I feel like I turned out okay. (laughs) You seem like you, I mean, again, you're, you're at the very least a snappy dresser. So we know that, we know that about you. Yeah, I, I think I turned out okay. But the reason I say that is because when when we start in our professional lives, we always want to give that great first impression mm-hmm. because we don't know if that job is going to be for the next 30 years or if it's going to be a stepping stone to that next position. And so we want to become that perfectionist right off the bat, right out of college. You know, if you, if you just went to college and you want to go grab that first marketing job. And so you want to mm-hmm. kill it. You want to be the best. So I don't think that we're in that mindset of, Hey, I may win some, I may lose some. You just want to win it all. You, you always, I mean, we all, I always want to win. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't, yeah. Who doesn't, yeah. doesn't want to win? Uh, the danger I think has become when you see a loss as a reflection of some kind of personal deficiency of yours. Now that doesn't mean, you know, I've done this presentation before and talked about these things before and I've had people think that I'm calling for mediocrity and I'm not. F. Scott Fitzgerald said that the true test of any first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time and still operate, right? Which is a fancy way, I think, of saying a thing can be two things. Something can be true in two opposing ways. You know, it can be true that you made a mistake, something didn't happen the way you wanted it to, and, and you need to improve in some way if you want to keep doing that thing. And at the same time, it can also be true that it's not a direct reflection of who you are as a human being and what your worth is. And so there's a nuance there and and nuance is complicated. I mean, that's kind of the essence of of what it means to use the word nuance. And so understanding that and finding that gray space is actually one of the things Shahar talks about is, is living in the gray is often comes with experience, right? We like, we know is as people who have been in, you know, who have lived and been professionals for a while, what what that means. It's a little bit harder to understand when you're young, when you don't have that life experience to support just how complicated and messy life usually is. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of advice, what would be your advice for someone who's a perfectionist? And you notice that. So you'd like to help them see things in a different light. Yeah. I think the advice is to continue to look for ways to fail. What I find with perfectionists are they're often scared. They 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 want to control everything. And so usually they don't try new things 
or if they do try new things, they do it under very strict circumstances. Right. So getting outside your comfort zone and recognizing that learning is is a part of growing, I think is important for perfectionists. I think also finding ways to look to be validated that aren't tied directly to achievement is the other thing for perfectionists. So many perfectionists tie their value and personal worth to their achievement. And, and so looking for areas and avenues in life where you can get validated and you can understand that you have value and worth as a human being that isn't directly tied to what you achieve, I think helps people. And then the other piece is quite frankly, is when you when you do fail, if we're going to use that word or, or something doesn't work out as planned, really taking a, a critical look at things that aren't just about you. <laughs> And, 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 and looking at like, you know, perfectionists tend to believe they can control everything. It comes back to control, right? Control is a response to anxiety. So, and anxiety is about uncertainty. So perfectionists are people who want to reduce, they really want to reduce uncertainty because they're trying to reduce their own anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what it's really about for most perfectionists. And so helping them understand and putting them in positions where they, where uncertainty is just a part of life. One of the things I will tell perfectionists is, and and I I use my own story as an example, the difference between uh, a compass and a map. So these devices of ours are wonderful. I'm holding up a phone, dear listener. These smartphones are wonderful. You can, we, we like to pretend sometimes that what we're trying to do at work or life is like what we try to do in a smartphone. I'm going to input a destination. And if I, if I drive the way the, the the phone tells me to, the direction, the speed, and in the way exactly it tells me to, I'm going to get to exactly where I want to go, exactly when I want to get there. And, and our phones are remarkable. They can you can drive across the country, and if you follow directions, it'll tell mm-hmm. you within a couple of minutes when you're going to arrive. That's incredible. Perfectionists want to believe that if they just follow all the right steps and all the right ways, that they're going to get to where they where they are trying to get to. I tell folks and myself especially, life is much more like a compass. And so, what's the difference? A map or, or a navigation device, you input a destination, it tells you exactly where you're going to go and when you get there. What does a compass tell you? It answers one simple question. Am I moving in the right direction? Not did I try to do exactly what I wanted to do exactly when I wanted to do it, but am I moving in the right direction? If And if the answer to that is, yeah, generally speaking, I'm, I'm kind of moving the way I want to move, you're okay because not everything is within your control. Yeah. A mile or a millimeter is still progress. It's still progress if it's moving in the way you want. And if you look at it and you decide this is not the direction I want to go in, fair enough. But don't judge your progress as if it's something that you can you can plan out because you can't always plan it out, which is really what so much of this is about. Yeah, absolutely. So before we go, where can we learn more about optimalism? The pursuit of perfect. Tal Ben Shahar. What's great about it is, you know, I've, I've built up his academic credentials today and you know, Harvard researcher. And, and that's true. Brilliant man, works for a world-class institution, does not write like a Harvard professor. So, you know, if, if folks are thinking this sounds like it's going to be tedious and difficult to read, he writes in a very, and it's not a very thick book either, in a very accessible way. And, and writes in a way that I think um, anybody can pick up the book, can read and learn from. So I would point them towards Dr. Shahar and, and that book in particular. And if you're interested beyond that, his first book, Happier, is really good. You know, it's interesting to me that there's a whole field of research out there about positive psychology and happiness. And it's not just about how to be shiny and smiley all the time, but happiness really comes from, from purpose and some things that are really substantive. And so I think there's great professional and life lessons in there. When I was studying psychology, that was one of the things that were 
shocking to me is the amount of positive psychology books and write-ups that there are and that unfortunately people don't use. Yeah. <laughs> because there is a lot. And if you follow that, if you read up on that, you're certainly going to learn a whole lot about how to really treat your goals, your objectives, really in everything, not just in work, but really in life in general, just kind of how to live with purpose, as you were saying. Nelson Mandela said, and I try to remind myself of this, let your choices reflect your hopes instead of your fears. Right. But but fear is so powerful. It's biological, right? Fear, that's what anxiety is. It's fear of the uncertainty. And so it grips us. You know, there's good biological reasons that our body pays attention when we're afraid. But what happens is, it, I, I, I've told this to my two teenagers since they were little, when your body is so full of feeling, there's no space for thinking. So when we get gripped by fear, that neocortex can't activate. You have to you have to breathe through it. And so to me, the way that connects to perfectionism is quite frankly, perfectionists are, the, are some of the scariest people I know. They don't act like it. In fact, they they would hate if you ever knew that about them. They, they're terrified that you're going to realize how terrified they are, but that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their need to control is about fear. And so when you operate from a place of fear, it's unhealthy personally, yeah. it's damaging to, to relationships. And so that's why I come back to Mandela and his idea of, of let your, your choices reflect your hopes instead of your fears, because it, it usually leads you from a, a more grounded place as you move forward. And with that, we want to thank Mitch again for joining us on Ask Anything. Mitch, it's been a great conversation. Thank you very much for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening into this week's edition of Ask Anything presented by Motion Consulting. We hope you enjoyed listening to Mitch Isaacs talk to us about leadership and embracing optimalism. Join us next time when we continue to dive deeper with our resident experts and what they're currently working on. Remember to send us your ideas or topics via social media feeds. In the meantime, please remember to give us a rating and subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcast. Until then, so long, everybody. Go!